from the American College of Cardiology. This is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief, with this week's Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. I'm recording this on Monday, March 16th. We're going to review three articles today. The first will deal with a study looking at apixaban versus rivaroxaban for AFib. The second is a very interesting paper from Canada that looks at the risks and benefits of transcatheter valve-in-valve versus redo open surgery, AVR, for management of failed biological aortic valve prostheses. And then lastly, a very interesting paper looking at plasma biomarkers and risk prediction in patients with HEFPEF. So let's get started with this article looking at the safety and efficacy of apixaban compared to rivaroxaban for patients with AFib. And it's a study from a commercial health plan claim databases from 2013 to 2018. So it's an observational study where propensity matching was done to try to match patients who were receiving either apixaban or rivaroxaban. The study included almost 100,000 patients who received uh, these agents. The mean age was 69, 40% were women. Mean follow-up was about uh, 290 days, or roughly 9 to 10 months. And there were roughly 40,000 patients in each group that were matched, and 43% of them had a CHADS score of 1, while 45% were greater than or equal to 2. Antiplatelet therapy was reported in 10% of the cohort. And the incidence of ischemic stroke or systemic embolism was 6.6 versus 8.0 per 1,000 patient years for apixaban versus rivaroxaban, respectively. So the hazard ratio was lower with the apixaban 0.82. The rate of intracranial or GI bleeding was also lower with apixaban, a hazard rate of 0.58. So the authors of this study concluded that from this very large observational registry that apixaban had lower rates of both ischemic stroke or systemic embolism and bleeding compared to patients treated with rivaroxaban. This is one of the largest uh, non-direct comparisons ever done between these two agents. And there's three important findings for us to think about. First, the overall rate of bleeding is modest, 1% to 2% per year in the first year after therapy. And most of those were GI bleeds and not the more critical intracranial bleeds. Second, the rate of bleeding appears to be lower with apixaban therapy in this study than rivaroxaban. Third, the rate of ischemic stroke or embolism also appeared to be lower with apixaban, and this is somewhat consistent with several other observational studies, although head-to-head randomized data is needed. A couple of important caveats, of course. It's only a short study, 9 to 10 months. It's claims data, so it's not nearly as reliable as chart abstraction or certainly a trial. And there were also a large number of patients in each group who discontinued therapy, and that muddies the water a lot. Overall, one would conclude from this analysis that both apixaban and rivaroxaban have a good overall safety and effectiveness profile for AFib. And there is this possibility, perhaps, that apixaban may have slightly better efficacy and safety. Let's move to another study. This was reported in Jack Intervention this week, and it compares transcatheter valve-in-valve versus redo surgery AVR for the management of failed biological prosthesis. And this is an early and late outcome study from Canada. 
So the investigators linked both clinical and administrative databases in Ontario and looked at patients undergoing valve and valve or redo AVR for failed previous biologic prosthesis. And they again used propensity matching to account for differences that appear in baseline differences. They had a total of 558 patients who underwent an intervention during the study from March of 2008 to September of 2017 at 11 Ontario hospitals. There were 214 valve-in-valve patients and 344 recurrent uh, surgery. The patients who had valve-in-valve actually were older and had more comorbidity, and they matched based on 27 variables and had 131 pairs that they analyzed. The mean time from initial AVR to recurrent surgery or valve-in-valve was 8.6 for open surgery and 11.3 for valve-in-valve. 30-day mortality was lower with the valve-in-valve compared to surgery, the absolute difference 7.5%. The rates of permanent pacemaker implantation and blood transfusions were also lower, as was valve-in-valve related length of stay. And survival at five years was better for valve-in-valve, almost 77% versus 67%. So the authors concluded that Based on this analysis, the valve-in-valve approach appears to have lower early mortality, morbidity, and length of stay, and probably increased survival at five years compared to redo surgery. Clearly, uh, the availability of TAVR in a patient who's already had one AVR and had a biologically failed AVR is an exciting step. And I think this is an excellent observational study suggesting that this approach with valve-in-valve for these patients is both effective and actually probably safer. Last paper I want to talk about today is a very interesting analysis looking at patients with HEFPAF. And the question was, does a multi-marker panel perform better in predicting risk of death and hospitalization of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction compared to clinical variables alone? And the authors actually looked at 48 plasma biomarkers in two cohorts of patients with HEFPEF. The biomarkers reflect different pathways involved with heart disease, angiogenesis, atherothrombosis, myocardial injury, extracellular matrix turnover, tissue remodeling, inflammation, adipocyte biology, metabolism, and neurohumoral regulation. They measured the biomarkers in 379 patients from TopCat, and 156 patients that were enrolled in the Penn Heart Failure Study, and that was the validation cohort. And they wanted to look at the association between biomarker levels and the primary outcome of all-cause death or hospitalization for heart failure using a machine learning tree-based pipeline optimizer platform, essentially AI. So the TopCat group, there were 379 patients, median age of 70, 46% were women, 8% were minority, 58% were enrolled in the U.S. and Canada. Follow-up was about three years. And 94 patients experienced the primary outcome. When they analyzed the biomarkers, they found that FGF23, FABP4, and IL6 were independently predictive of death or hospitalization. The machine learning incorporating all the biomarkers was associated with the primary outcome. And if you added it to the clinical score, the C statistic went from 0.62 to 0.73. The association of the biomarkers did not differ between the spironolactone and placebo arms, and the findings were replicated in the Penn Heart Failure cohort. So this is a very interesting analysis suggesting that this machine learning algorithm could be useful 
in how we implement biomarkers with risk prediction in patients with heart failure. Unfortunately, in this study, it did not tell which patients would benefit from spironolactone, and that really is the holy grail. It's one thing for us to predict risk. It's another for us to use proteomics or genetics that lead to a change in therapy that leads to a change in outcome. And that really is the next step, and we need to get there if we're going to start using studies like this in clinical practice. Well, we've covered three articles. We've talked about the effectiveness and safety of apixaban versus rivaroxaban for AFib. We've looked at uh, transcatheter valve in valve versus redo surgery for uh, failed bioprosthesis in the aortic position, and a really interesting study looking at plasma biomarkers and predicting risk in HEFPEF. All of these are obviously rapidly changing areas of cardiovascular practice, and I thought the three articles were interesting, and I wanted to get them in front of you. So I want to thank you for listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly update from acc.org. You can find the articles and the links and the journal scans on the website. Look for our educational catalog there as well on the Education and Meetings tab. And using that tool, you can sort our educational offerings by various formats, etc. Also, we'll be presenting the ACC 2020 virtually to you in the coming week or so. And uh, look forward to participating with our team in making that meeting as effective as possible. I hope you have a great week. And until next week, thank you for listening.